Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. So yeah, we're in our series in Elijah. We're looking at four different instances in Elijah's life and pulling some things from Elijah's story and applying it to our own lives so that we can be people who, in some ways, do what God wants us to do as individuals. But I want to start with Jesus. That's a funny thing to say in the sermon, isn't it? I want to start with Jesus. We should always start with Jesus. So uh, Luke chapter 4 there is the occasion where Jesus is in the synagogue, and it comes to that time in the synagogue where they, they read through Scripture, they hand the scroll to Jesus, and He stands up, He turns to Isaiah, and He reads this. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, He reads from Isaiah, "'The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners.'" the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's like a mic drop moment in the synagogue, where Jesus says, the stuff I've just read, it is now happening. Um, Verse 22 says, all spoke well of him, and they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Jesus said, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right, right through the crowd and went on his way. So there's this occasion where Jesus is in the synagogue. He reads this passage from Isaiah. He says, this is what's happening now. I am the fulfillment of this. And they were unhappy with the things that Jesus was saying because he was saying that God is the one who chooses who gets to hear the stuff. God is the one who chooses his people. You see, the, the, the people, the Pharisees, the people who were... were um, in this kind of environment, they were very focused on the Jews being God's chosen people and no one else. God wouldn't use or speak to or use, I said use twice there, anyone else. And yet, Jesus makes the point that in Elijah's time, God used a widow who was not Jewish to minister to Elijah. And in Elisha's time, the person who got healed of leprosy was not someone who was Jewish. It was someone who clearly wasn't. And this is why they responded in fury to throw Jesus off a cliff. But he walked right through the crowd. It's one of those things you'd like to see. When you get to heaven, you say, can you put that, Luke chapter 4, can you put that DVD on? So we just watch how that happened because I imagine that would be amazing. So Jesus quotes this story from Elijah that we're going to be looking at today. So 
Over to Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 17. This is the passage that Jesus refers to. So I'm going to work through the passage and I'll pull some things out for us to take away with us today. So 1 Kings 17, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. You need to know that God has spoken to you to stand up and say, Listen, King, it's not going to rain until I say so. I mean, those, those are strong words because it could rain at any time. I don't think if Elijah was in the UK this is what he would have said. That would, that would have been a stronger test of his hearing from God and his faith. But he says this to the king, and we know, that, we know that following the narrative through, it doesn't rain for three and a half years. So that's powerful. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, says in verse 2, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. He did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Um, it's fascinating, isn't it, that Elijah is sent to a brook, and God provides for him by sending meat and bread from a bird that was considered unclean. It's interesting. You know, Charles Spurgeon said there's two things we can learn from this. Number one, we can't assume that we're not going to get anything good from something that we consider is unclean. And number two, we can't assume that if God uses us, it means somehow that we are not unclean. It's two good points there from Brother Spurgeon. Moving on. Verse 7 says, Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little jar and water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And please bring me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of all will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him. And he lived. 
Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from his room into the house, gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Great story. You may be familiar with these passages already. Great interaction between Elijah and God, interaction between Elijah and this widow. And uh, I just wonder what happened in Elijah's mind in this, in this whole incident, in this whole moment where God speaks to Elijah, the food, the ravens are bringing him food, he's okay with that clearly, and then the brook dries up, and then God says, go to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there, a widow is going to feed you. I wonder what went through Elijah's mind at that point. He could have asked himself a lot of questions, like I probably would have asked myself. I would have said, are you sure, God? Because in the time that we're talking about here, widows were the poorest in society. They were the poorest of the poor in society. A widow had no one to care for her. She had a son, it seems, but it seems that he was quite young, so it wasn't like he was a, a grown son who could look after his mom. So widows would have been the poorest of the poor of society. Why would Elijah think that going to Zarephath was a good thing to do? Zarephath, the word Zarephath means refinery. Nobody wants to go to a refinery. It's quite hot in a refinery and stuff gets burnt. Nobody wants to go there. Why would Elijah, a man of God, want to go to a Gentile city to be cared for by a Gentile woman? Why would he do that? Why would a man of God, Elijah, want to go to Sidon, which is the enemy's territory? The king of Sidon, his daughter, you may have heard of her, her name was Jezebel. Why would he want to go there? He's going to the enemy's territory. And why would he want to travel a hundred miles? Because that's how far away it was. All of these questions Elijah could have asked himself. But he doesn't. He obeys and he finds the widow. Why is that? Because our walk with God is an exercise in trust. Our walk with God is an exercise in trust. He sees her. He sees the state that she's in. He sees the poverty she's facing, the desperation, and yet he still says, can you get me some water? And while you're at it, can I have a sandwich? He still asks her for some food. I asked myself, why would he be so bold? And this is the answer that, as I was reading this, I thought of. His trust was in God, not in the widow. God told him the widow would provide food for him. And so Elijah's trust was in God, not in the widow. Trust is, a, is an interesting thing. And our walk with God is an exercise in trust. <coughs> uh, you may have met my son, Ethan. There's a photograph on the screen of us when he was little. <laughs> Look at his little face. Uh, when, when Lisa and I were, <coughs> I was going to say when we were pregnant, I guess I can say that, but she was doing the work there really. Uh, when we found out that we were having a baby, you go through all of the scans and I, you may have heard this story before. I remember the, the, the kind of being pulling us, pulled aside and taken into a different room and everybody whispering. It's very uncomfortable. You think, this is not good. And then a nurse sat us down and said, hey, listen, it looks like your baby doesn't have a left hand. 
And so we, uh, we need to send you off somewhere else to get some, some more scans. So we went through all of this process of going to get different scans and different consultants speaking to us. And then they said, definitely, your baby doesn't have a left hand. So what do you do in a moment like that? What do you do? Well, we're people of God. And so we believe that, that God can make a difference. We believe that in circumstances where it doesn't look like, like it should look, that we pray. And so we prayed. And our church prayed. And there were people in different churches who prayed. There were people in different parts of the world who prayed. And we spent a lot of time praying and believing that God would perform a miracle and that Ethan would be born with two hands. Because, hey, the Bible clearly says that God is the God of the impossible. And it's all well and good hearing stories about other people being healed, but it's cool to be able to see it with your own eyes, hey? So we prayed, and, uh, and we believed God would do something. Lisa has a different slant on this story because um, she'll share that at some point, I'm sure. She connected with God on a, on a kind of a different way looking at this. But I was believing that God would do something. And then Ethan was born, and he still didn't have a left hand. So then you're confronted with, I asked you, God... And I believe you, God, but this that I've asked for hasn't happened. So where do we go from here? And I remember, I can remember where I was. I remember leaving work. I was in the cars, driving home, and all of this was mulling over in my head. I wasn't sad because Ethan was and is beautiful. So I wasn't sad about, about any of that. But I was just mulling over the what happens when you ask God for something. And when you ask God for something that you think, makes perfect sense. This, is, this wasn't something that was selfish. This is something that makes perfect sense to be right, but hasn't happened. What happens in that instance? I'm driving home, and I'm thinking about this, and then God speaks to me very clearly. The reason I know, and, and maybe this will help some of you, the reason you can tell when God speaks to you, it's like a thought that cuts across everything else that you're thinking. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was a thought that cut across everything else I was thinking, and this was the question God asked me. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? And I, I couldn't answer. I couldn't answer. I'm in my car driving home from work. I could not answer. I mean, there are lots of things that I knew I should say, and there are things that in that moment we, we kind of imagine we hope we would say, but I couldn't bring myself to say any of those things until I got home. I parked the car, and I said, God, I don't know, but I want you to help me trust you. I want you to help me to trust you. And our relationship, I mean my relationship and God, has grown from that point because I surrendered the things that were in my heart and I said, God, I want you to help me to trust you. Our walk with God is an exercise in trust and it is always an exercise in trust. Always an exercise in trust. And here Elijah is in this situation where, where he sees this woman who is clearly a widow. She's gathering sticks. She's really struggling. She's gathering sticks. She hasn't even got firewood in her house, so she's gathering sticks. And he could have been distracted by what he, what he saw. Because like me, and I'm putting myself in this story, I like to do that when I read Scripture. If God said, I'm sending you and a widow's going to provide for you, in my head I'm thinking, great, this is a widow who was married to a very rich man who has died, and she is wealthy, and so God is going to send me to her because she, is, she already has everything that I need, and when I get there, it's going to be great. 
It's going to be a big house. It's going to be feasting every day. It's going to be brilliant. But he arrives and he sees this widow who is so poor she's gathering sticks for firewood. And I was challenged by that because he could have missed what God wanted to do because of what he saw. But what you see may not be the truth. What you see may not be the truth. I don't know if you've ever seen an optical illusion like this. Just pop it on the screen for me, Bubs. <coughs> One more. Just play it once more. So the ball changes color from side to side. It's beautiful. But here's the thing. The ball never changes color. The ball is exactly the same color as it moves across the screen. And uh, scientists tell us that the reason optical illusions work is because we judge what we see by what is around it. So the color around the ball changes, and we're judging what we see, the ball, by the color around it, which is why it looks like the color of the ball changes, but the color of the ball does not change. And I wonder if spiritually we make a judgment about what we see by what's around it, by our own experience, by the things that have happened to us, or by assumptions that we make. And if maybe we can miss what God wants to do because we're distracted by what we see, what you see may not be the truth. Elijah could have assumed this cannot be the woman who's going to, to feed me and look after me because she doesn't look like she can. But again, it wasn't the woman, it was God who was going to provide for Elijah. And so he walks over to her, he has a conversation with her. He says, you know, give me some water and a sandwich. And uh, she says, I don't have anything. And he says, That's, in fact, she, she's resigned to death. And this, this, this kind of um, talk that we're looking at tonight is called From Death to Life. She was resigned to death. She says, I've just got enough for one more meal. My boy and I are going to eat it and then we're going to die. She'd given herself over to death. And Elijah says, go ahead and do that, but give it to me first. And here's what God says. Your flour will never run out. Your oil will never run out until resources in the land are such that you can rely on those again. And there's this verse, verse 15, which is it's kind of a, a throwaway, matter-of-fact verse, and we read it, and it's just part of the narrative, but it is so powerful. It says, she went away and did as Elijah told her. And it seems so simple, but actually that was the moment her life changed because her obedience kick-started that miracle. And because of her obedience, the life of Elijah, the life of her son, it says, it says in that passage there, there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. So maybe we can assume there was more people who were involved here. Those people's lives were saved because of her obedience. She obeyed. The potential stench of death that was hanging over them was removed and replaced with glorious life. And I don't know, I don't know what happens in your world, but I do want to tell you this, that when we obey what God says, it has an incredible impact in other people's lives, and we may never know what that impact will be. We may never know what that impact would be, may be, but us obeying may literally save other people's lives. I heard a story today, just today, that really encouraged me. <coughs> a long time ago, there was a young woman in our world, and uh, she would come to our house from time to time. And um, 
And I said to her when she came in once, I said, listen, I feel the Holy Spirit wants me to make sure you have some food today, so I'm going to make you some dinner. So I made her some dinner. That's the kind of thing I say to people in my house anyway. So I made her some dinner. She had some food, and that was the end of it. And I have never thought anything of that because I've said those words many times to many different people in my house. And I found out today, um, she spoke to Lisa about it, I found out today that at that time, there was something happening in her to do with food and her approach to food. And because I said, Holy Spirit said to me, I need to make you some food. And I made her some food, and she ate it. She felt like God broke something in her that was a response to something she was thinking about in her life, something to do with eating, and, and she had a really bad attitude to eating. And God broke something in her because of that that has, has never come back to her thinking. I never knew that. So did I spend a lot of time fasting and praying and, and waiting on God to hear a word from God for her? No. I just thought, I need to make you some food. And so I made her some food. And my simple act of obedience made a difference in her life that I was unaware of until today, to be honest. Unaware of it. You do not know the power of your obedience. You do not know the difference you will make in someone's life when you respond to the things that God whispers to you. I find it interesting that, you know, this woman experienced this incredible miracle of her jar of, of flour not running out and her oil not running out, and then... Her son got ill, and then he died. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and to kill my son? And I'm not belittling this woman's grief or the things that she was going through, but my challenge when I was reading this scripture is how quickly do I forget what God has already done for me? I mean, God had already provided in a way to move them from a place of death to a place of life. How quickly our, our kind of attention can turn and it becomes something that we forget what God has done and who God is. And the other thing that strikes me about that is there's clearly something that happened in this woman's life that she's still carrying around, that she's feeling guilty about because now she's assuming that her son dying is because of whatever it was she did in her past. She said, what have you come, what have you against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and to kill my son? God is faithful to forgive and to cleanse us. He is. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we need to live as people of of, of People who follow Jesus, we need to live in that place of forgiveness, that place of recognizing that God has taken our sin from us. Because if we don't, we can be in a place where we're attributing what happens to us as a consequence of maybe something that we did. This is because of this. That's because of what I did. This is because of what I said. And we're attributing stuff that happens that may have no connection to our past at all. We're labeling it as something that it isn't. That wasn't the case here. Elijah took her son. He said, give me your son. And he took her son upstairs, and he prayed for him. <coughs> he prayed over this boy. You know, in the passage that I read first where Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to bring good news, all of that stuff, preach good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. 
One of the signs of the Messiah was that blind, the blind would see. There wasn't, the sign wasn't that the dead would be raised. The sign was that the blind would see. And so when Jesus healed people who were blind, that, that was quite significant in their understanding of the Messiah. When Jesus raised people from the dead, it was amazing, but it wasn't as significant a sign of the Messiah as Jesus giving sight to the blind because people had been raised from the dead before in the Old Testament. The prophets had raised people from the dead. And we understand that. But here's what I want you to understand. Up to this point, no one had been raised from the dead. When Elijah picks this boy up and takes him upstairs and prays over him that God would raise him from the dead, no one else had been raised from the dead. This is the first time. This is the first occasion. So Elijah doesn't have any past experience. Elijah doesn't have, oh, do you remember that prophet, Prophet Bob? He prayed over someone and he got raised from the dead. Or do you remember Prophet Jacob? He prayed over someone and he got raised from the dead. No one, this has not happened before. But Elijah takes this boy and he says, Oh, Lord, my God, my God. That speaks of a personal connection to the Father. Because when he encountered the widow way back earlier in the chapter, and he says, get me a piece of bread, she says, as surely as the Lord your God lives. There wasn't a connection for her. But when Elijah prays, he says, O Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And God hears what Elijah says, and the boy's life returns to him. And here we have an instance of death moving to life because someone prayed. His prayer was very simple. But he didn't just say, I'm going to, he didn't say to the woman, I'm going to pray about it. Uh, as we Christians sometimes are so good at doing, I'll pray about it. He picked the boy up and he took him to his room. Let me tell you this, prayer is hand in hand with action. It goes hand in hand with action. We cannot be people who use prayer as an excuse not to do anything when sometimes we have to do something. I remember growing up and hearing sermons about prayer and, and you know, saying um, one of the popular ones that, that, that when you pray, God answers in three ways. <laughs> God can say yes, He can say no, or He can say wait. And uh, I, I remember being, as a young man, I remember being really challenged on this because I think there's a fourth. God can say yes, He can say no, He can say wait, and He can say do it yourself. Do it yourself. Why are you praying about that? You can do something about that yourself. Why are you praying that God would meet that woman's needs? You can take some shopping around to her house. You can do it yourself. And we cannot be people who just use prayer as an excuse not to get involved. Prayer goes hand in hand with action. I'm going to end with this. There was a popular... I mean, there's, there are many more things I can say, but there's a popular bracelet. You remember the bracelets that you used to get? There was a bracelet that said, um, what would Jesus do? Yeah. WWJD, yeah. And then, then there was a frog one. Remember the frog? Yes. Fully rely on God. And then, you know, we Christians, we get a bit faddy, don't we? And then, then there was another one, push. Remember push? Pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. And I believe that. I believe we should pray until something happens. But we should recognize two things. We should pray until something happens, but don't just pray. We need to do what we can as well. 
But we need to understand that the praying until something happens is not necessarily the prayer being answered the way we want it. We should recognize that praying until something happens may mean that something happens in us. In us. Because sometimes prayer does more in us than it does for the words that come out of our mouths. Sometimes prayer shapes the way that we think. It shapes our connection with God. It shapes our understanding of who He is and who we are. And so praying until something happens is great. And please pray until something happens. But recognize that something also needs to happen in us. We need to be people who speak the truth, who obey what God says to us. We need to be people who recognize that our walk with God is an exercise in trust so that we can be people who have this said about us. Right at the end of that passage, the woman said about Elijah, the word of God in your mouth is truth. What you say about God is true. Imagine having that said about you. What you say about God is true. And the only way that can be the case is if we live in a place where we say, God, oh Lord, my God, I want you to shape me. I want to be close to you. I want to obey what you have to say to me. I want to trust you. Even when it doesn't make any sense, I want to trust you. And I want to be someone who doesn't, just, who doesn't use prayer as an excuse not to do something when actually it is in my power to act. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for, I thank you for Elijah. We can sometimes read Scripture, Lord, and maybe feel disconnected from, from people. Elijah moved in such incredible power. So incredible miracles happen. But your word makes it very clear that he was a person just like we are. And actually, the reason he was able to do all of the stuff that he did and to say the stuff that he did was because he listened to what you said. And we have ears too, and we can listen to what you say. And so, God, wherever we are this evening in our connection with you and our walk with you, I pray that you will remind us that this is an exercise in trust, that we will trust you, that where we are believing for you to break through in our lives, in our circumstances, in family members, in finances, in healing, whatever it is we're praying about, that we will continue to pray to see something happen, but that we'll also expect that something will happen in us, that you will do something in us, that in those areas that, that maybe we hold away from you, that you will shine a light on them, that you will show us who we are, that we will continue to become the people you've called us to be. Thank you, Father. I pray that you help us to see incredible things happen in our lives and that we will be people who are, are used by you to take people from a place of death to a place of life. In your name, Jesus. Amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.